You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to The Splash. I'm John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle, and our guest is Giants left fielder Alex Dickerson, who's kind enough to join us after coming off a fabulous season as one of the best hitters on the team. We discuss playoff hopes for next season, his unique theories about why the ball flies out at Oracle Park, and the first guaranteed contract in his 10-year professional career. Enjoy. Well, hi, Alex. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And how you doing? Everything okay? Yeah, doing great. Uh, just hanging out here in San Diego. Yeah, great. Well, there's so much to talk about right now. Here we're in the offseason. But you have a contract for 2021. There are reasons for optimism with the team. You're coming off a solid 2020. And Levi Ross Dickerson entered the world just as last season was coming to a close. Congratulations once again. But What's fatherhood been like for you? Uh, it's It's been exhausting, but uh, for the most part, it's been every bit as rewarding as it is tiring. Uh, people, the way they warn you about it, it's it's every everything they said it would be. You're extremely tired for especially those first six weeks there, but he just started sleeping through the night and uh, seeing him develop and everything. And he uh, smiles when you get in the room and it really, uh, really brightens my day. And uh, like I said, it's exhausting, but it's extremely rewarding. It's been a great time. Beautiful. Well, the, the big news of the baseball week was the non-tender deadline, and you were eligible for arbitration. Um, in, in your case, it wasn't simply about tendering you, though. It was signing a guaranteed contract for 2021, and you've been in pro ball for a decade now, signing out of, out of college in 2011. And this is your first guaranteed uh, deal. What, what's the comfort level? I mean, there are a lot of people who say, hey, I'm, I got a different approach in spring training because it is a guarantee. I can work on X, Y, and Z instead of trying to put up big numbers. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a, uh, it's an extremely big moment. Like you said, I've been doing this for 10 years now. And uh, I think a lot of people don't understand how long it takes to get any type of guarantee in this game. And I know that better than anybody, with, especially with my injuries. And if I had gotten to tell myself two years ago that this would be the results after two more years and getting to this point, um, I think I don't think I'd have been I don't think that Alex would be surprised, but he'd know what it took to overcome that and get to this point. And uh, it's a, it's a great moment for me. It's a great moment for my family and anybody else, met staffs, doctors, anybody that supported me through those tough times. And definitely uh, getting the contract guaranteed is a, is a great feeling going into spring training. It does uh, take a weight off your shoulders where you're not, you're not, uh, you're, you're always going to go and compete. You're always competing for your job, but it puts it in, puts you in a boat where for the first time you're concerned really just about opening day. You're not, you're not in there like, oh, my God, I got to make this team. You're still going to compete like that. But at the same time, 
you're able to have a little bit of that weight taken off and a little bit of patience with yourself, especially for those first few weeks of spring training, just to make sure everything's going smoothly. Hmm. You mentioned opening day and it seems it's right around the corner. It seems like we finished last year yesterday, but how are you mm -hmm. seeing the Giants next season? I mean, you fell one win shy of the playoffs and it, it was a team that finished a lot better than it started. Uh, once guys mm -hmm. started getting in the groove, started getting in the positions that they were more comfortable with. And how do you, how do you, um, how, how do you build on that? And are the playoffs realistic? Because that's what Farhan Zaidi said is a goal. Yeah, I, I absolutely think playoffs are realistic. Um, I, I think we're as confident as anybody that uh, we we even thought we were like had that game that season been longer. I think you would have seen even more improvement on our end as far as like the trajectory we were heading in. And we had a tough schedule. We played it pretty well, and uh, we there's a lot to be extremely excited about the offensive unit, like one through nine, the whole bench almost everybody's back and it's just a it's it's a great group it's a fun lineup to hit in there's danger all the way up and down it there's a lot of patience and I, uh, I, I do think the playoffs are a realistic goal for us we're going to add a couple pieces here at some point and uh, like and you're always confident when you have a locker room that's got guys that have multiple world series rings already on their fingers they know what it takes to get there and I'd say we're as confident as anybody. And it, it, the NL West is a – it's extremely tough division. Uh, Padres and Dodgers are extremely good teams. Diamondbacks and Rockies always put up good fights. and But uh, we, we think we can hang with there with, with anybody. What do you think you'll have to do to, to get a couple of more pieces? Uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you want to wear, wear the GM hat quite yet. But, but I mean, you, you did lose Smiley – uh, Anderson wasn't tendered, but you bring it back Gosman and the offense was better than it has been in a lot of years. Uh, and, you know, there's bullpen depth always, but, you know, there's talk about maybe a left-handed batter to play a little third, play a little second uh, with Longoria and Solano. But what are your thoughts on the roster? Uh, uh, I, I still think we already have pieces there to compete. I don't know where we end up getting more, but what we have already is already an extremely competitive group. Having Gosman back at the front of that rotation is, uh, I mean, that's, that's great. Uh, playing behind him were great games last year. The guy's got an incredible arm. He's got great endurance and could really put a team on his back. And then as far as other pieces, you never know where we're going to go and, and what we're going to add. But I think the track record, especially over the last two years of, what our front office has been able to add and get uh, good quality at bats, good quality innings out of guys. It speaks for itself. And uh, already this offseason, we signed Jason Bossler, a guy I played with with El Paso. And I think he's going to be a big part of what we do. He, uh, I got to see him firsthand and he's solid player can play a lot of, a lot of places in the infield. And I think he's another guy that's just been overlooked in uh, the grand scheme of things. And you're going to get to see a really good baseball player get out there and compete and kind of add to what we already do well. You mentioned uh, Vossler. Is he the kind of versatile, uh, overall well-rounded guy who can do a bunch of stuff for you that this team likes to pursue? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, like I said, I got to play with them for a month in El Paso, and you saw that right away. A guy that has a 
good approach at the plate, just a solid baseball player can play all the way around the infield and he's going to fit in real nicely with what we, what we got going for us. Hmm. Alex, do you embrace platooning or is it always a goal to be the full-time guy out there? Uh, you, yeah. you didn't, you didn't get many bats against lefties, but is there a feeling that if you did, if you did get an extended opportunity, you, you would have the numbers because I looking at 2016, when, when you played more games than any year you've ever had, you had a higher batting average against lefties than righties. Yeah, so that's kind of – if you actually dig back into my minors, I want to say almost every single year in my entire life, I've always had a higher average left on left. Um, I've always hit them well. So I, I do always – I will always believe that I'm a guy that can go out there and face them. I'm not a detriment to any team facing lefties. But I think at this point in my career – um, the platooning aspect is more to get me off my feet just a little more and give, give me a chance to stay healthier. And I'm all, I'm all for however they want to design it. And I think they have the confidence that if they need to put me in there against the lefty, I can get the job done. And really, I think the, the main thing that makes it work as well as it does is the fact that whoever we put in on the right-handed side against those lefties, they're going to be better against lefties than me it's not that I'm bad against them but when you're throwing Slater Darren Ruff out there these guys pulverize them and then when you're looking at driving in runs on an entire season that's where they're looking at when it when it gets to the platooning it's not that uh, it's not that I don't have confidence or they don't have confidence that I can't face lefties I'm not in one of those platooning situations it's more that the other guy we're going to put in he's going to uh he's got a really good chance to go deep off of them and one thing I never had a track record left on left was I never hit him for quite as much power mm -hmm. and the way the game's played now I think that's where a lot of the runs want to be generated okay okay cool now how much work have you done in the uh off season so far or is that more of a January thing I'll never forget I would like to tell this story um your your Giants debut uh you know, the monster game you had, uh, mm -hmm. grand slam, two-run triple, uh, you know, sharp single. Gary Crowley and I were at your locker. We asked about it, and your quote was, I was due for a good game. And I, I thought, you know, I'd never heard that from anybody in all my years covering the game, but I, I think it kind of explained what kind of hitter you are. Um, it, it, you know, it, and, it, and I, I soon found out what kind of hitter you are because you kind of carried the team for a month or two there. But um, what, what is the off-season training like and, and your hitting schedule normally? Um, yeah, so for me, it's the the early portions. There's definitely a break I always have programmed in there. A lot of times it's because I'm nursing some type of injury at the end of the year. Thankfully, this last, this last year I did not have that, but I did have a kid for the first time. <laughs> so the, the first month ended up being a lot of watching him and getting acclimated to being a dad while – getting ready for my job. And then after that, it's these, these next November, December for me are a lot of kind of mobility and just kind of feeling out and making sure my body's getting balanced. And then uh, here in these, in these next few weeks, when I really start getting into what I call baseball shape where I'm picking it up a little bit, adding in a lot more cardio and just getting a feel for how my body's moving around. I've taken out a lot of the really heavy lifting of, never seen the benefit for it it's always made me feel worse and quite frankly I, i've never hit the ball further from anything i've ever done in the weight room 
it's always come from getting a little more mobility, just a little better, a uh, little a- athleticism. So I've almost entirely eliminated that and COVID's helped kind of push that even further this year. But then uh, the, the baseball stuff I, I pick up in January, the hitting doesn't take me very long to feel competitive. It normally takes within a week. Hmm. And then it's just about building up some endurance and I, I kind of balance that out. Some, some years I'll do it early January, some mid, and then the throwing, throwing the, ever since the Tommy John, I start doing that here in the next couple of weeks, just to get a feel for it, see what I need to work on and kind of build up strength there. And yeah, and then the spring training kind of takes care of the rest. That's where you uh, really put it, put it to the coals and, get after it and get the full baseball atmosphere going. And a lot of times that's where the difficulty is, is those first two weeks of spring training. Cause you can't simulate in the off season being in cleats all day, the up and down the meetings, all those things, they really do add into your baseball endurance. And there's no way to really simulate that for what we do in the off season. We'll be back with more of Alex Dickerson right after this quick break. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. health had been an issue but not in 2020 and how gratifying was that and did you do anything different to maintain the health and stay in the lineup no it was a it was its own build up over the years I always say every injury I've ever had has been it's more of just another learning experience Uh, I think some people like to take a look at any injury as oh you're damaged goods now you're only going downhill from here but I've only gotten stronger and healthier from all of these because you start to learn how your body moves better, how to better prepare it and where your flaws were. So I wasn't particularly surprised my 2020 went as well as it did. The only surprise was that going into it, I mean, we were short spring training and not being able to do a lot of the things that I know I need to do. And uh, there was definitely hiccups here or there where I'd uh, tweak something where I know it could have been avoided had we had normal rules and I could do my normal routine where I show up at noon, I'm doing stuff for three or four hours and then we work our way into batting practice and all that. But unfortunately with the COVID rules this year, they took that away. And that, that was the one bit of nervousness I had throughout the season was, Hey, I'm not getting these things. I know I need to do to stay healthy in. I don't literally, they don't let us in the building long enough to get them done. And there, there were some like some difficult times throughout the season, especially early on. But overall, I'm very happy with how I was able to kind of work with the trainers, strength staff, and get enough in to where I was able to kind of push through this, the finish line and wasn't really limping toward it. Well, what about your season in 2020? It, it was a career high batting average on base, mm-hmm. uh, slugging. Your OPS was 947. I think only Belt and Yaz had higher OPSs and what, what did you take from that and how do you build on? Uh, I mean, it was, it was a good run there, especially for how bad I was for a month there. But at times 
I knew I was hitting the ball hard. I knew I was controlling the strike zone pretty well. And, and there was a lot of bad luck in there. And I'm happy that the Giants knew that and hung with me because around the league you saw you saw guys getting taken off rosters for doing what I did in the first month. And I always thought that I, I was nervous because you're looking at that as like, man, they're really going to do that 30 games into any season. Anybody can have stretches like that and you kind of expect them. But they had confidence in me, and then I was able to get extremely hot there for the second month. And really building on it is just uh, kind of taking what I've learned and just continuing the competing process. I do believe that in the 162 games, you would have still seen uh, the product that I put out there, maybe even a little better considering how much bad luck I had in that first month. You tend to only have one or two slumps that feel like that, and then – the rest of it's just kind of a balancing act the rest of the year. And uh, really it's just kind of staying that, stay in that trajectory and seeing, seeing how far I could push this forward and, you know, continue to compete on an everyday basis. Yeah. Right. Uh, did you like the new yard? Uh, you know, the wall was brought in, the archways were covered. The ball flew off the bat. Like I hadn't seen since the early two mm thousand. -hmm. just, just curious about that and whether it was a much of a topic of conversation among you guys. No, so the the fence thing is a bit overblown. They moved it in like six feet in right center. It's still the furthest right field, right center there is. I mean, it's still so far out there in center. They moved it in like seven or eight feet. It may be a little noticeable in the gap. This And there might have been one, or, one to three or four balls that snuck out for people this year that wouldn't have. The archway thing, I don't think that had any effect on it. I think that's too low to really affect the flight of the baseball, especially in a, such an open stadium at, at Oracle. But I, I think what you really did see was our guys were top to bottom, just hitting the ball much harder. And I think the exit velocities and stuff like that would agree. Um, we just had a great team approach. We had a great hitting group with, with the, the staff we had making adjustments for us. And I think as a as a whole, the Giants were just hitting the ball much harder, and I don't, I don't the ballpark. I don't think played into that much at all. Um, maybe a little bit, maybe a tiny bit mentally, because it is. I mean, like I said, it's huge. But where where that thing was four twenty one before, that's supposed to be under four hundred feet in most ballparks. So it's right. it's still way further than normal. It's still a pitcher's park, but. Um, yeah, I, I think it's more of a product of just good quality hitting on our end. Okay, okay. I Because I, I go back to that. Remember time you you played that exhibition against the A's and Chad mm -hmm. Pinder came up, a right-handed hitter. I, I just don't see many balls by a right-handed hitter, you know, hit to the part of the ballpark that he hit. And yeah, I, I and, I, and it's true that that doesn't happen often. But the thing that you, the I don't think people realize – mainly because maybe they don't know his name. He's very well known for being able to absolutely massacre balls to mm -hmm. right center, like freakish. So what he did there, I think, is more a credit to him and just okay. doing freakish stuff. Same with Tatis, did the same thing. Um, I, I think people are were looking for, oh, the ballpark's changed. But it no, that, that guy, if you see some of his home runs throughout the season, he consistently hits balls at like 110 miles an hour. It's not yeah. – not surprised yeah. he's capable of that. What about the ball itself? Same ball, or uh, every, you know, you're um, right. everyone's coming that, up with that thing. You could, you could, 
make an argument. I, I think that it's definitely – I don't think the ball was different from 2019 to 20. Um, the ball, the, it has less drag. It definitely travels better. I think on a lot of the – especially throughout the league, the, the opposite field homer, it used to be you only saw big guys doing that, and you're seeing a lot of smaller guys doing it more. Some of that might be swing change. Some of it might be the pitching is that much harder. But I think as an outfielder, I can definitely say that – and but I've said this since 2016, like early 2016, that the major league ball has always traveled much better than you ever saw in the minor leagues. And there was definitely a huge difference that was not being talked about then to the point where when they finally brought it into AAA, you saw the numbers skyrocket, which I definitely anticipated. And there the one balancing act the PC Hell had was that. Yeah, the ball flew because the ballparks were good to hit in, but the baseball did not go as far. And then when they had they changed the baseball, then it became a joke. Mm. So I think it's always in the big leagues traveled better. I don't know that it got any extra better from 16 to 19. I know the numbers will probably say different, but uh, it's always had less drag and traveled better. And that, that was very apparent to me, uh, mm. even since I like first got into the major leagues. How did the Giants in in particular and the and baseball in general, you know, at least until that final game of the World Series, uh, stay largely free of COVID-19? I mean, there were the early cases with the Marlins, early cases with the Cardinals, but people for the most part seem to figure it out and get the whole season in. Yeah, I think on our end, uh, really the thing was is if you just did the protocol – it might not even been as much of the protocol as just you had to stay within your within your own team, your own little bubble you had. You had to stay home and really just avoiding the general public as much as possible. And I think with our group, you didn't have guys that like had, were eager to go out or any of that kind of thing. And there was just a good focus from the get go. And along with us following the protocols helps a lot. But I, I really think it's the, when you look back at the season and the outbreaks and stuff, I think there's probably some questions as to whether people were able to just follow everything as they as intended or whether they got outside of the bubble. Like you, you don't really know how these things get in. But I think with us, um, everybody took it seriously from the get go and knew what was at stake as far as, you know, our season, we'd already lost a lot of games to, to the COVID thing. And, you know, it was just focus on staying in, getting your mask on when you needed it on and, uh, you know, avoiding people, avoiding going to the grocery store as much as you physically could avoiding those kind of uh, distractions that could have led to you getting in contact with somebody that had it. Well, you, you had that false positive and it's mm -hmm. such a rare thing, but it was an unfortunate thing. Your wife is pregnant and yeah. people are pointing figures until we realized, Hey, it definitely was a false positive. And looking back, how stressful was, it? I mean, you, you're, you're trying to get ready for games and did you mm -hmm. move on quickly? I mean, was there a lesson or is there a lesson for people in these times? Um, yeah, so that was one of the toughest 48 hours I've ever dealt with in my life. Well, mainly because I didn't know. I, I was almost like because of how well we were doing with it, it just the, the numbers didn't add up to where I could have gotten it. And if I would have gotten it, 
I knew I would have had to have gotten it in San Francisco where I was even more quarantined because I was staying at a hotel across the street and walking straight there. And the fact that nobody else tested positive, like I, I was pretty confident I did not have it. Now that said, all the doubts start creeping in as this is going on. And it happens to be in San Diego. The one time I've gotten to see my wife and, you know, however many weeks, months, mm. And so she's the only person I was permitted to see. She was the only person I did see, but the test I had failed. We showed up at 2 a.m. And by the test that I was positive for was at noon. So I knew when people were trying to say that, oh, I got it seeing family and stuff. So even if my credibility is not there, it wouldn't have been possible for me to have gone and seen family and all those things and bring it in from the outside so i knew that if i did indeed have a positive it was from within our own protocols which just seemed super unlikely but the stress of having to knowing that if i did have it that i would have given it to my wife who was about to go into labor within the week and you don't and you hear all these horror stories about covid and pregnancy and what they were having to put some women in medically induced comas so the stress of that and trying to clear us was mm -hmm. miserable i mean we took probably eight of those tests within a couple of days trying to really confirm that I did not have it. And then knowing that you have people looking at you, like you just destroyed the game and, uh, and, and the season, even though nobody was doing that with me, but you, yeah. you just had that feeling of, man, I screwed everybody over. So it, it was unfortunate. It was a terrible time. I'm happy to have gotten through it. Like we, like we were able to, I'm very happy that the, uh, that it did happen in San Diego because we had a lot of help from the Padres doctors as well as our own and their front office and ours uh, really working together to get us cleared and back on the field. But yeah, it was a extremely tough time and uh, wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but very thankful that everything turned out all right. Yeah, for sure. I can't imagine. Um, well, just one last thing, you know, there, there's a cool event coming up that you're involved with uh, uh, that benefits uh underserved kids in the Bay Area, and it's called mm -hmm. Holiday Heroes at Home. It's December 8th, a Tuesday. It's five o'clock. Uh, yourself, I believe Pablo Sandoval, some others. Um, I think Pablo will get a, an award for his philanthropy, but wh mm -hmm. what can you say about that event, Alex? Yeah, so it's an event to try to get, give back to underserved kids in the Bay Area, especially during this Christmas time. It's a the live event is just unbelievable. I got to do it last year, and you get, it was at Oracle Park, and they had all these events set up, and there was the who's who of the Niners, the Warriors, Giants. Like, is the representation from everybody in the area was incredible. The experience was amazing. And unfortunately, with COVID, we don't, you don't get to give that get that experience for the kids out there and. So the, that that's the downside of it but the the upside is that now now that we're doing it virtually this year um we're going to be in a position where uh even if you can't make it to oracle park even if you're not in the area at the time you can join in and kind of take part in some of the festivities and anybody out there that wants to get back to it i think it's an incredible cause and it's going to be needed much more this year than ever with such a tough year for so many families. So, um, yeah, it's just a great event. I'm extremely excited for it and excited to help give back to families that have had just a tough time. Well, wonderful. I mean, you can 
go for more information to the website, uh, holidayheroes.org, holidayheroes.org, and you can pick up tickets and you get some cool stuff in return. And there's an, an, an auction and all kinds of stuff. And plus the feeling you'd be helping these kids along. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, Alex, uh, thanks so much for, for being with us and best of luck uh, uh, to you approaching the 2021 season. It was a great ending as uh, you became a father and uh, thanks, uh, thanks for your time. Yep, thank, thank you. Thanks for joining us on The Splash and thanks again to Alex Stickerson for the conversation. Henry Shulman and I will continue delivering podcasts through the off season, so stay tuned. The Giant Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Podcast producers are King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. The theme song, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. Support The Splash and all of our great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.